Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that sheds light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host, Millie Brooks. It's a gorgeous August day here in 2021. I can't believe the summer is nearly over. Soon we'll be chugging pumpkin spice lattes on the reg, if you're not already doing that. We have an incredible episode for you today. As we try to shed some light on the disparities that black women face within the medical community, specifically within fertility and reproductive medicine, here to share her experience, strength, and hope is the amazing infertility warrior, Narissa Roper. Welcome to the show, Narissa. Hi, my love, my Millie. I'm excited to be on here, honey. I am so thrilled to have you. Um, Before we dive in, give us a snapshot of who you are, where you're from, what you do, family, anything and everything you want to tell us. So, like Millie said, my name is Narissa, last name Roper, um, from my wonderful husband, Kenny. We've been married um, this past July 9th. It will be five years. Um, I currently live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we have a family of three with our daughter, Kennedy. And basically, we have a few hats that we, you know, have. So I, me and my husband both work actually for Wells Fargo. Um, I just started there literally this past week, Millie. Like, this is my first week. Oh, congratulations. Yes, thank you. Um, So we both work at Wells Fargo um, and we also have a real estate investment company called Canard Properties and we flip homes and um, I do some decorating and um, some design and um, that's us. We love everything, homes and flipping homes and remodeling homes and all of that. The last project we did, we actually um, did a whole flip and... um, I guess, renovation and someone purchased it within four days, but it was my husband's um, childhood home. No. Yeah. That was our last project um, right before COVID struck. Wow. Um, And we um, flipped that house. It was like, you know, totally different thing. We created walk-in closets and updated bathrooms. I mean, we literally gutted the entire house. That stuff is so fun. Yes, it is. It's it's almost, it's very like soothing for me, even though there's a lot of work in it, but it's still an amazing thing to do. And I think it was more like important for us too, because it was a home he grew up in. So we put a whole lot of work into it, mm-hmm. um, but it sold in four days. So his parents were very happy. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's a really great uh, timeline there. Yes. So we worked on it, sold it in four days, but that's like our passion. And then we also have other properties that we have and we um, hold them and rent them out. So we have a whole nother business um, aside from what we do every day. Mm -hmm. And um, we are currently, I guess you can say in a waiting period. Um, We just did our last cycle um, a retrieval cycle. And we have two beautiful, wonderful embryos waiting to be implanted in me and transferred. Um, and so now we're taking, I guess you could say a little bit of a break because as you know, Millie, like we were on the go from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so I said, you know what, like we need a break. I needed a break. And, um, 
So that's where we are now. But, um, you know, trying to grow our family. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about um, your infertility story. So back in, let me start from the beginning. So my husband and I got married back in 2016. And we wanted a family like immediately. Um, I was 31. My husband had just turned 35. So we were like, you know, we don't have time to like play games. Um, And so we decided we wanted to, you know, jump right in. And so um, after probably a good year and a few months, we were like, okay, something's going on. We're not getting pregnant. We had traveled everything. And, you know, you listen to people saying, don't think about it. Just, you know, live your life. It didn't happen. Okay. Right. Right. (laughs) It just didn't happen. We were just like, no, it's not happening. Like something Mm -hmm. is going on. So um, we made appointments um, for both my husband and I. So I did all the hormones and the testing, everything you can possibly do. And I was okay. And um, my husband did his testing and come to find out it was male factored. Um, So he has a blockage and we needed help. Like we, we knew we needed help. And so um, we were referred by my OB to an amazing urologist, um, Dr. Damani here in Charlotte. And um, he said, we're fine. We're going to figure this out. We see the sperm. We know where they are. And guess what? You're going to be able to have a baby. And we're going to refer you to the Women's Institute in Charlotte. So I said, wonderful. So we started our appointment it was um, 2018, January. And as you know, Millie, it's expensive. Okay. Oh, like, yeah. It's yeah. insane. So we said, okay, now that we know how much it's going to cost, which the base, I think, at the time was like fourteen five, dollars mm-hmm. um, And that didn't include meds or anything else. Mm-hmm. So we basically had to pay out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, we said, okay, we're going to get our funds together, do what we need to do, and figure out what we're going to do. And we'll reconvene. So... We actually started fully in May of that same year, 2018, and went through a whole retrieval process and everything. And we ended up with four beautiful embryos and we transferred our first one and it failed. Mm. Um, So we were like, okay, like not thinking anything of it because, you know, a lot of times they say your first one doesn't always work. Right. Like, okay, let's do it again. And so we did it again and that one failed as well. Mm. So we were like, okay, like what is going on? And this was at this point after our second transfer at the end of 2018. And my doctor was then like, we're going to do all the tests that we can and figure out what's going on. So we did some biopsies for myself and um, come to find out I have chronic endometritis, which is inflammation of your uterine lining. And um, basically, she said, we have a remedy for this. We're going to give you meds for two weeks. And in that same period of time, I decided I was like, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to start acupuncture. I was, there was a lot of things I was trying to do because I mm-hmm. said, I'm doing everything that I can before we do this third transfer. And because it was basically the end of the year, um, the clinic has like a cutoff time yeah. um, for transfers. And so we were like, well, that's fine. We'll start back, you know, January, we'll come back, do what we need to do and schedule our next transfer. So I had plenty of time to get my body together and get it where I wanted. Um, so I did acupuncture, I changed my diet. I was very strict, no sugar, no dairy. 
um, no nightshade vegetables. Like I was very strict. Nightshade. What is nightshade? So basically they are vegetables that cause inflammation. Um, So like potatoes, um, peppers, um, what else? Oh my goodness. Um, eggplant. So there's like a number of nightshade vegetables that can cause inflammation, tomatoes because of the acidity. Oh um, my gosh. All yeah. of that. So I removed everything, like all of them from my diet. Um, and I was drinking um, bone broth every day. I was very, very strict with my diet. I didn't have sweets for months because I was like no sugar. I was like all mm-hmm. natural things. So we did that and we had our next transfer February of the following year, 2019. And we were so excited and elated because it worked. Mm. Um, so after the meds and everything, and after getting the biopsy to make sure, you know, all of my inflammation was gone and changing up my diet and doing acupuncture, we got pregnant with Kennedy. Wow. Yeah. And so that was, the pinnacle of everything because you know you work so hard to conceive like it was just difficult and then after two failed transfers we were like oh we were at our wits end like we we're like what is going on right um so we had kennedy um november of that year on the 20th um in between that time it was insane because i had three serious close losses so um my brother passed um in March, which was basically mm. the month after we found out we were pregnant with Kennedy. Oh, wow. Um, and then the following month, my aunt passed away. And oh, then, gosh. Yeah. So it was like March, April, like it was like back to back to back. Mm. Um, and then right after that, my dad passed the day after Father's Day. Oh, Narissa. Yeah. So I had three losses within that same year, pregnant with Kennedy. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. So it was a lot. And then, you know, like, I guess you could say going through that, I kind of, at the time you don't realize like what God's doing for you. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't understand at the time because you know, you're just dealing with loss back to back to back. Yeah. And so, um, what's funny is it was like going through all of that. Now I look back and I say, okay, we got pregnant with Kennedy. Yes. We had two prior transfer fails, but we got pregnant with Kennedy at the right time because honestly if it wasn't for me being pregnant with her I don't know if my mom if me if our family could have gotten through all those losses Mm. um and so Mm. I think it was like she was the light at the end of the tunnel for us Mm. so literally like we had Kennedy was born the 20th which is funny the 20th November which is the day before my dad's birthday wow so it was kind of like okay dad you were here the whole time yes it was insane um, yeah. and she was due, we knew she was due in November, but she literally stayed in my stomach for an extra, uh, extra week, um, and was born the day before. And the doctor was like, if it wasn't for the fact that when I got to the, um, my doctor's appointment, my last appointment, I had three centimeters of water, Millie. Whoa. Um, yeah. If it wasn't for that, then she would have been born the next day. So it would have been on my dad's birthday. Where was the water? It was, it did girl. So let me tell you. Yeah. Um, so f- literally after the fact, um, I really honestly was probably in labor for probably like almost three days. And you didn't um, know it? So this is the thing. I was having contractions. I knew I was having contractions. Okay. 
And I was like, these are definitely contractions because I'm in pain and I'm breathing through these things. Okay. I'm at home breathing through these contractions, but I would, we went into the hospital and she checked and I told her the night before I said, I got up and my, my underwear were wet, Mm. wet, like totally wet. So she said, okay, come in. And we, I went in to check and they tested the fluid and it wasn't her fluid. It wasn't the fluid around the baby. Mm. So I was like, well, what is it? Because this isn't making any sense. (laughs) So literally she was just like, okay. And at the time I was only one centimeter dilated. So clearly they're going to send you home because there's, I mean, there's nothing. Right. So I went home and then for two more days, I was having these contractions literally on and off throughout the day. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, I have my appointment coming up. And they'll let me know what's going on. So we went to our appointment, which was my last appointment, just to make sure Kennedy was okay, because she was in there like a week over time. Right, right. So we went in there to check and we looked on the camera, like on the the, um, big screen and they were like, she has pockets of water that equal probably like three centimeters of water. So I said, I had to have been losing water. It had to be the fluid and whatever they were testing wasn't right because I was like, she only has three centimeters of water. Yeah. And they were like, her heartbeat is fine. And so they said, do you have your bags packed? I said, absolutely. And they said, head over to the hospital. And when you get there, they're just going to put you in a room. So literally I got there and they were like, you Narissa? I was like, yeah. And so me and my husband, they put us in a room. They're like, we're not putting you in triage. We're just going to put you in a room. And they hooked me up and Kennedy was fine. Her heart was beating fine. And so like my birthing plan went totally out of the, out of the window because I was like, really going to like naturally have her. Yeah. And they said, well, she has three centimeters of water. We don't want her to be in stress. You have two options. Either you can um, basically try and see if you dilate to 10, because at the time when I got there, I was six milli. Oh my gosh. Exactly. So that's why I said I was in labor for like two days. Had to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was at six centimeters when I got there and they were like, so you can wait and see if you dilate the next four um, and then we can just have a natural birth or we can break your water and go ahead and hook you up, put you on Pitocin, and do all these things so you can get to 10 and we can have this baby and she's not under stress. But they said, if you decide to wait and see, then if she becomes stressed, then we would have to put you to sleep and deliver your child and you would wake up with a baby. And I was like, break my water, give me an epidural. And that's what we're going to do. Yep. Yep. And so luckily I did because I didn't get to 10 centimeters until like 1am. So I was like, I can only imagine. And in between like watching her on the, the monitor, it was like every time I would have a contraction, her heart rate would drop. So I was like, okay, thank God. I um decided to do this. Yeah, you you made the right call. You made yes. the right call. So that's where we are. We had um had Kennedy and then um waited a year, went past her first birthday and decided we wanted to do another transfer. Um we had one more embryo left, so we did a transfer at the top of this year and um sadly it was a biochemical pregnancy. So mm-hmm. I literally went in, had my beta, it was 154.4. And the next beta I had, it went all the way down to like 30 something. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had a really early miscarriage. And so after that, we were like, okay, what are we going to do? We want to have more children. And so we literally rolled into another retrieval. And now we have two embryos, five AA waiting for us um, for transfer. They are both five AA? Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, So you did do, did you do PGS testing? Yes, I did. And -hmm. with both retrievals? With both retrievals, yes. Wow. Wow. Yep. So um, I was thankful for that. I was, I'm glad we have two. And so we're just, like I said, I want to get my body. I want to do what I did before Kennedy. I want to get my body where it was and doing all of the things like taking things out of my diet, getting into my acupuncture routine because I was going like literally once a week, like clockwork um, mm. and just doing everything that I was doing before. So I was like, I I need to get my body together and I don't want to rush it. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I mean, if anything, doing all of that stuff, I feel gives you a a lot of mental clarity. It does. It does. It makes you feel like you're doing everything you can. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. Well, um, well, let's get into the topic today. Um, That kind of dovetails really um, right into what we want to chit chat about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's not a shocker and, you know, <laughs> about all of this crazy, you know, stuff that like, you have to basically be living under a rock if you don't understand that like the U.S. maternal mortality crisis affects black yes. women, especially. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, a few months ago, you shared some stats regarding that issue. Yes. What inspired that post and how did it feel to share some of those heartbreaking realities? So for me, as a Black woman who's proud to be a Black woman, um, going through infertility is hard enough. You know, like experiencing that whole thing, um, Millie, you understand this 100%. Um, To go through it, it's a lot. But to know that you go through all of this um, and you want to have a healthy pregnancy, you want to be heard throughout your pregnancy, you want to have some sort of control of your health in regards to bringing these beautiful blessings into the world. Yeah. Um, To go through infertility and then to be a black woman in that process and then have to think about I am because of my age, I'm over 30 actually four to five times greater of passing away during like labor of this beautiful baby we worked so hard to get is terrifying Mm -hmm. Um, and disappointing because I feel as though in 2021, we should be in a better place in regards to healthcare and the care that we receive during that specific time in our lives, because every, you know, you, you want the best, you want the best outcome. You want to enjoy the baby that you're carrying and you want the baby you're carrying to be healthy in the process. Yeah. So for me, um, I did that with, um, Juliet. Yes. And I thought about all of it because Juliet, you know, they have, their own support and um, outreach for women, um, especially women of color in that specific situation that are pregnant and they give money and, and, and time for research for that specific thing. Massive shout out to them 
For yes, what, Julia. What an incredible organization to be, you know, right. doing a kickback for that. That's great. Exactly. Um, I think it, it was something that needed to be said. And I think it is something that um, we need to put into the forefront in the eyes of our doctors, right? Because I look at things like what happens to the least of us, what happens to some of us at some point can happen to us all. Yep. And I feel as though, you know, the fact that we have that staggering number, like indifference, you're talking about with the maternal mortality rate, you're talking about like 17.4, I think, per 100,000 live births, you have a death of a mother. And that's just in the United States. But for black women, non-Hispanic black women, you're talking about that number goes from 17.4 to almost 40%. Oh, gosh. So we're a large number of those deaths. Um, And the numbers are so disparaging in regards to race. Like for white women, it's only 14.9. So it's below that 17.4. And for Hispanic women, it's 11.8. Mm. so it's such a the number itself it's the fact that you can have a number almost at 40 percent. i believe it's like 38 or 39 to the 14.9 and then 11.8 right. like why is that gap there right and so a lot of it um and i mean and it's with women that have you know advocates in place i mean you saw what happened with tiffany yes Yes. You see what I'm saying? And it was like, she had a doula. She had an advocate. She had someone there with her. And unfortunately, and sadly, she's no longer with us in this community. Mm-hmm. With her baby, Nova, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is, um, for those, the listeners that aren't aware, this was a woman, a black woman in the infertility community, single mom by choice, right, Narissa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, by choice. Who died um, during childbirth. Yep. Oh, for something routine and never made it out the hospital. And I, and it's like, I don't know all of the, the details around it, but the fact of the matter is she should still be here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's, and I mean, there's so many women like, um, what I think is, is it Akira? Um, and he, like his mother is actually judge hatchet, you know, judge hatchet that's on the TV. Oh my so, gosh. Yes. So her daughter-in-law actually passed away having their son, their second son. Wow. At Sinai. And her husband was there and she was complaining of things um, after giving birth to him and they weren't listening to her. And she passed away. And so things like that, like you can have an advocate, you can have your husband. And so it's one of those things that I always think about. We shouldn't have to live in fear bringing a life into the world. That should be the most joyful time of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just, to me, it was just something I was like, okay, I can have, you know, go through all of this and I need, I need to be heard. I need to have someone that listens to me when I'm saying something isn't right. And I mean, you're talking about up to stars. I mean, look at Serena. She went, she almost died. Oh, I mean, I she literally had blood clots and she was complaining and nobody was listening to her. Mm. Yeah. And we're talking about you would think she would have a one care like. Oh, right. Right. Serena Williams. Yeah. But that's not the case. And so 
I think it's just something that needs to be talked about way more and um, more attention brought there because it shouldn't be that way. We should, our healthcare should be created equal. And I also, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm getting emotional listening to this because I, I, I'm just coming back to this idea that when you do go through infertility, experiencing pregnancy should be a relief, you know, yes. should be filled with anticipation and, like you said, great joy. Um, yes. And that's just not the case. It's not the for case. black women. No. No. Um. And I, oh man, I didn't even know that Tiffany, um, I believe her IG handle was like baby dust and science. Um, yeah. Did she had a doula? Yeah, she had a, she, yes, yeah, she did. Oh, wow. Wow. So you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and I mean, I think about that too. Like I think about all those women. Yes. Their husbands, some of their husbands and, and, and spouses or partners or whoever are there with them and they're still going through these things. And luckily for me, like I've had really good care. Like um, my doctor and I, my infertility doctor and I are extremely close um, beyond just, you know, our, our regular medical level relationship. We have a good like personal relationship, my doctor and I. And then the nurses that were there for me, we have a personal relationship. So I have good care in that way. And then my OB and I are very good in relationships and she talks like when I go see her, she's like, how's everything going? Like, where are you in this process? Um, what's your next steps for infertility? Like, what are you doing? Like, what is your timeline? What do you want to do? Do you have a birthing plan? Like, she's very hands on. And um, the midwives, because when I um, can like had Kennedy, I literally had midwives like that's all we that's all we had was the midwives. Mm hmm. And they were amazing. Like anytime Kennedy's heart rate dropped, she was in there. She's like, my legs are going to be exhausted by the end of the evening. She's like, because Miss Kennedy's heart rate keeps going down. And she was in there every time it went down, that little sound, she was in there. Mm -hmm. um, and then when she, when we finally had Kennedy and she was out, she literally went to the bathroom in me, Millie. So, wow. They, yeah. They had to check her um, and make sure she hadn't aspirated anything. Mm -hmm. So, when, when all that happened, um, I literally had probably at one point, like eight or nine midwives in there with me mm. and my husband. And that made me feel better mm. because it was like, okay, they actually care. And they were working on her, making sure she was good. And in my time there, like we had people checking on us. So it's like, I've had really, really good care and that's a blessing. I'm so thankful for that. Um, and so I only pray that that continues because yeah. I see the numbers and I know that, you know, that can, that can change yeah. for me. Yeah. So I just, and I told my husband, I said, look, if I'm saying something and they're not listening, you make sure that they're listening to me. Right. Um, and so he's like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, from your own personal experience, can you share mm -hmm. a moment when you felt like, mm, I'm not sure they're listening to me right now? Yeah. So I know like in the beginning um, with my OB and at the time, I mean, I was younger. This is, um, you know, I guess when we were first starting our process and stuff and she was checking me out and she's like, well, everything is good with you. And I was just like, but, you know, we're still not getting pregnant. And I think it was like, 
I had to kind of like steer her, like push her. And this was the OB before I had my current one. And not to say that she was a bad OB. I think it was like, I've been seeing her, my old one, since I was like 14 or 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it was like, she, you know, just was like, you're a healthy girl. And I don't think she wanted me to even think that there's an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she done her test, like I've done my hormones, all that kind of stuff. But I was like, you know, I want us to check a little bit harder because something isn't right. And it took a minute for her to kind of say, okay, you know what? Let me just refer you just for one peace of mind and just to see. And I'm thankful that she did listen at some point. But I feel like I feel like she should have listened in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like just said, go ahead and go. It took and a little nudging. Her. It took a little it did. pushing. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And I'm and I and I feel like at that point I should have been like, no, you need to make an appointment immediately right now. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, but you not knowing, I'm not knowing that we're going to have issues with fertility. Like, you know, at the time you don't know, but I feel as though, yeah, that I shouldn't have had to nudge. It should have just been like at my request because yes, this is my body and this is our family and we want to start, you know, conceiving children. Yeah. Um, and then another time, like when I had said I went to the hospital and she was like, the fluid that you're losing isn't fluid that Kennedy needs. Clearly, Millie, that wasn't the case because (laughs) I had three centimeters by the time we went to the hospital. Yeah. So I think it's just like maybe doing an extra test, maybe doing things because I'm like, no, these pains I'm having are contractions. These are worse than my period. Um, And I'm feeling it all in my back and my lower extremities. And I'm I know this is these are contractions. I mean, literally I was sitting there and me and Kenny were breathing through them. These are contractions and I'm losing water. That's why I'm feeling it the way I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like just those moments and thinking like when people tell you, okay, this is what's going on. Like my underwear was soaked this morning. That should tell you something is up. Right. So you have these moments and I've had these moments where, yeah, I feel like, I should have been heard because I feel like, you know, I wouldn't probably had to rush to the hospital the way we did because she would have had more water available for her. Right. Right. And thankfully I didn't just wait. Yeah. Like you don't (laughs) want, I mean, it already takes so much courage to even to present a question or a, you know, uh, um, a curiosity or like, please check this yes. out. But then to have to come back yes. around again and do it again and again, do it again, you know, mm-hmm. and ask that, like, why can't they just cross their T's and dot their I's from the first, yes. from the first get go. Yes. Just test me for everything. Make sure everything is good. Mm-hmm. Check me, see how far, how, how much dilated I am. Like, let me know something. Yeah. Um, Because yeah, that was the thing. Like, Literally, I'm like three centimeters of water. Like, that's nothing. Yeah. She was in there basically pretty doggone dry. Let me tell you. I can't. I I shouldn't be laughing, but that is hilarious. No, that's true. Like, you know me. Like, me and you have very same, like, similar humor. Yeah. Literally, Billy. Like, I'm basically like, you're in there dry. (laughs) You're dry. Like, your little back is the only thing covered in water at this point. Like, you don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. You have no water, sweetie. Yeah. So it's like just thinking of that, like that's no water. Like I sat here and thought about it. Like 
you're talking about, and it's in pockets, Millie. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. I'm like, so where did the water go? It absorbed in my system? No, it came out, which is what I was telling you right. two or three days before. Right. So, so, so technically, did your water break at that, like before that? No, no. You were just slowly leaking fluid. It leaking, yes. Wow. And they had to break my water. Like he had to go in there and break it because when he broke my water, I felt like I could feel the pressure. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. you feel that release. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so that's my water being broken. So I knew I was like, for, so I said it was slowly leaking out. Mm. It, it, and that's the thing they were like she probably consumed some of it because of the fact that she went to the bathroom yep. in me yep. um, but then too I said I know that my underwear being wet that morning was probably some of her fluid mm-hmm. um, so it was just like the fact that that happened I was like okay so it's probably slowly leaking like probably a little tiny hole or something and I was probably in the shower not knowing okay I'm leaking now right um, Right. And then she probably, they said she probably literally consumed some of it because she was very good at drinking that water all the time. And there was times that we would go and see her and we could literally see her like moving water into her mouth with her hands. So I'm like, okay, wow. you're like really consuming. <laughs> she's yeah. thirsty. Like she's thirsty. <laughs> like she would, I mean, we literally watched her do it a few times. We were like, what is she doing? They're oh like, oh, gosh. drinking your water. Wow. And so I was like, okay, well, at least I was like, I know that she probably consumed that. And they were like, probably because that's probably the reason why she went to the bathroom mm-hmm. when she did. Um, and it was a mess. Um, but yeah, I'm just thankful she didn't aspirate it because that would have been horrible. Mm-hmm. And she would have had to go to NICU. Has there ever been a moment where you felt like, oh, wow, they did hear me? And it's oh, sort of absolutely. you. It's sort of like, oh wow, I didn't have to like push as hard, you know. Yes. Um. So I would say, and it was actually like when we when we were in there, and I was telling them like, okay, like they gave me my epidural, and I was saying I'm feeling a lot of pressure, like a lot. And so she was like, okay, let me check like her heart rate, and that's when we really found out that she every time I would contract, she her heart rate would drop. Um, and so they were like, okay, well, we're going to monitor this more. And so literally when I told him, she's like, okay, well, let me check this stuff out. And she like moved me and did all this stuff. And it helped a lot. Like when she moved me to my side, actually, mm-hmm. um, cause I was on my back and I think a lot of the reason why she, her rate was dropping was I think just because of my positioning maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was literally feeling the pressure, you know, like I had an epidural, but I was still feeling the pressure of her like doing whatever she was doing. She's probably like, this is not comfortable. And so um, my midwife literally came in and she turned me on my side. And it's like, when she did that, it was like a total change. Like when I'd have a contraction, her heart rate would stay the same or go up. Mm. So I was like, okay. So now I think it's like, I I was thankful for that because like I said, they were very attentive to, to care. They like anytime something was going on or uh, like the, the alarm went off or something. They were in there. Mm. You, so didn't like, you didn't have to no, ask twice. You didn't have to ask twice. No, like period. Like mm-hmm. as soon as that little alarm went off, it was like Llewellyn was in there. Like she was like, Kennedy, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like she was in there just like checking it out. 
And so I was thankful for that. And the midwives I had, oh, they were amazing. They were amazing. And I mean, they not only cared for me, but for Kenny. Like I was like, you know, they were like, do you want something to eat? Do you want me to go get you this? Like they were so attentive to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I had the same midwife throughout the entire evening. And then even when we were, um, when I was pushing her out, like it took me forever. Oh my gosh. Like she would come out and then go back in. Um, I was like, really want her to get out. Cause then one of the head midwives came and she was like, if we, if you can't push her out within the next like few minutes, we're going to have to use like instruments to get her out. And Lou Ellen, which was the nurse that I was saying was so attentive. Like she literally was like, no, she looked at me. She's like, they're not putting a, like any kind of thing on her head at all. We're going to push her out. And she was so like, looked me in my face mm-hmm. and was like, we're getting her out and we're going to do this together. And Kennedy, after I spoke with her, was here in like 20 minutes. Mm. Wow. And so it was like I, that I think is like the best feeling in the world when you have people that listen and are in your corner. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what kinds of um, changes would you like to see take place moving forward within the medical community? Um, I would say, one, I think there needs to be training on that diversity, right? Like, Mm. I feel like there needs to be some sort of training because honestly, like not lying, Millie, there's doctors out here that think like, Black women can take more pain than other races. Oh, my God. Wow. Yes. So there's doctors out here that think that. Um, And I feel as and then even not only that, but I think like especially hospitals in more um, impoverished areas, maybe not the best places. I feel like more money needs to be put into that type of program. I feel as though they need to make sure that there's doctors there that understand that, yes, we are Black women, but we are just like everyone else. And it's not like we we deserve to have less care or um, because of our specific, um, I guess, current situation, may it be with your financials or whatever's going on, that you shouldn't deserve less care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we need to make those changes, especially with training, um, truly almost like a diversity training, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. I feel like there needs to be more diversity training in the medical system, period. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the fact that a lot of doctors, you know, some of them really do believe that black women can take on specific pain more than other people. Um, Yeah, that's, that's, that's scary. Um, because I can tell you, you know, me pushing out a baby hurts just like somebody else. Anybody like right. it's, it's not a game. And the pains that you feel going through it are those same pains. It's not because I'm a black woman that my my white sister or my Hispanic sister or my Asian sister, she feels less. She feels more pain than me. No, we feel the same pain and it's painful. Mm-hmm. OK, so it shouldn't be any different care. Um, but I feel like we need to, one, put more money and awareness into that specific area, as well as do some serious medical diversity training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's necessary. I think it's very necessary. Um, and I feel like hospitals need to focus more on those specific numbers. Yeah. 
um, and the mortality rate and focus there and find out why. Find the root cause to why this is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a sense of relief that you feel when you see your medical team and there are people of color on your medical team? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, I think it's, may it be a nurse, like even at, even at the Women's Institute, may it be nurses that are, are black women um, or women of color. I feel a lot more secure in that way. And not saying I don't trust because my doctor is white. And when I tell you I trust her with everything, but she's earned that trust mm-hmm. um, because of the calls that she's made because of um the research that she does specifically for me and the time she takes to make me feel like more than just the number. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can say like my doctor, she is white, but at the same time, I trust Dr. Usadi with everything because she has done everything that she can and does the research behind it. And I've seen that, you know, in her actions. Yeah. She's earned your trust. Yes. Yes. She's literally earned my trust. And I feel as though um, like the nurses, having nurses that are black, having nurses that are women of color. Yes, it does make you feel more comfortable because in this situation, knowing these numbers, knowing the things that are going on, it is scary to go somewhere and be the only black woman. Yeah. You know, like to walk in somewhere and it's just like, okay, everyone around me is white. Yeah. So is my care going to be different? Are they going to treat me any different? So to have a diverse um, medical team, I think, is very helpful, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which goes back to what I was saying. They need to do diversity training. Yes, I I feel as though, yes, I think it's necessary to have that type of diversity on a team, especially for women of color. And then not only that, um, it should make everybody feel better. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, Because it lets them know, like, okay, this is a diverse team that they have at this specific clinic or your team that you have your OB or your your midwives I think it's very important to show that and to have that because clearly you know everybody is different colors having children Mm -hmm. so I think it's important and for them to know those numbers and to understand why women feel the way they do I think it's important yeah yeah because there's so much unconscious bias that's happening yes Mm-hmm. that people are just not awake to, you know? No, no. And I mean, some of it too is like, like Millie, like really is, is some of it is upbringing. Like if you haven't been around a lot of people of color throughout growing up, you're going to have that, that bias that you didn't even realize you have. Yeah. And that goes for, that goes for black people too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just, you know, and I, I look back at like my husband and myself, like my husband grew up around a whole lot of African-American people. Like, through high school, elementary school, middle school, college, he went to an HBCU. We come from totally different places. He basically grew up around a large majority of African-American people. Me, on the other hand, I grew up in a small town where I would be like the only kid in class that was like a black girl. Mm. And so I went through that. And then I went to a high school that was like more of a mixed crowd. You had black, you had Asian, you had Hispanic, but then I ended up going to an HBCU. So I've gotten like a, a total different panel compared to my husband. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and I feel like that happens in the medical area as well. I think it's like a lot of people, maybe you've grown up in a certain area and it's majority 
minority. And so when you go to the hospital, that's what you're going to see the most of, right? But the sad thing is those specific areas don't have the same funds and funding. They don't have the same care. They don't have the same equipment. They don't have all of that. And then a lot of times they have doctors that aren't as concerned with their patients, sadly to say. Mm. And it might be too because of the funding. They don't they don't feel valued because there's no funding being put into where they are. Wow. Yep. So it's 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 a, it's a huge problem. I think it's gonna take a long time to fix, but I think you doing things like this, Millie, me posting the things that I post, and other women in our community doing what they're doing is bringing attention to it. And I think that's the first step. You know, bringing awareness is the best thing that we can do right now because yeah, everything else will fall into place. But being aware and knowing those numbers, I think, um, and just being advocates in that way is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What makes your blood boil about infertility, the topic today, anything, anything? <laughs> My blood boils the most, I think, when they don't put as much emphasis on men being a part of this community. Mm. I feel as though a lot of times, and you know, you look at stats and stuff, women who are infertile have the same percentage and number as men. And I think there's not enough emphasis on that. I think immediately when people say we're going through infertility, they look immediately to the woman. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes my blood boil because a lot of times it's not the woman. Oh. It's the same percentage for men as well. And I think um, that's why we don't see as many men in our community. That's why we don't see them speaking up because in a way it's almost like because we don't bring attention to that, it's almost a shame for them. If that yes. makes sense. Yes. Because, you know, my husband and I, we, we also have male factor infertility. Yes. And, um, yes. I totally agree with this a hundred percent across the board because mm -hmm. everybody, I felt like everybody was looking to me like what's wrong with you. And I felt like even yeah. me, I internalized that like what's wrong with me, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. when we needed mm -hmm. to kind of shift the focus or balance it out a little bit and look at both yes. of us. Yes. It's not just your problem. It's our problem. Mm -hmm. And like, that's how it was for us. Like my husband, it started off as male factored. And then after doing so many tests and biopsies, we come to find out it's both of us. So it's one of those things where it's like, that I think it's still like people look at you like, what's your, is, is it endo? Is it this? Is it that? And it's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't the issue. And I think it's like, we don't, we don't put enough emphasis on that. Like some men I love seeing because they talk about like, look, I have this problem and it, it's me. Like I'm male factored and this is it. And they have their own pages, but we don't see that enough, mm. you know? And I think because we don't see it enough, men aren't comfortable enough talking about it. So they don't, they don't come on here and say, this is the situation we're here because my sperm has two heads instead of one or my sperm don't have tails or they can't find my sperm or I have to use donor sperm. Like they don't talk about it. And so it's almost like shameful or taboo to even for a man to even talk about it. And I think that for me makes my blood boil because this community is made up by more than just women. Yeah. Yes. 
And so that that to me in this community is the worst that. And as you know, and I've posted about the conditional support that right there. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't do it like we're here to conceive. We're here to do things. And mind you, I know there's women out here that, you know, know that they they may not ever have children and they're a part of the community, too. But for those women that go through this process and find support in our community, it makes my blood boil when they say I lost 500 followers. Mm, yeah. That's sad because it's like they still need you. Because they've reached pregnancy or they've. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or yeah. as soon as they reach pregnancy, it's like people disappear. Like, where'd you go? And I think it's like, I get that it's sensitive to everyone. Like, you know, this whole process is a very sensitive subject. You have your moments where you're like, okay, I'm so happy for you, but I feel sad for me. But at the same time, it's like when you go through this process, you still have the remnants of it. Even after you can see when you're carrying your child, your fear is still there of something going wrong. Right. Right. And so I feel like that, I think we need to work on that in this community a lot more. Um, and I even internally looked at myself, am I doing everything that I can do to show support? Am I, um, you know, making sure that I'm being um, understanding of where they are as well? You know, because, yeah, I, like I had my own miscarriage. And so it's like, you know, to see people get pregnant. Yeah, it's sad because it's like, oh, I wish I was still in this position. But at the same time, I love you, ladies. You know that. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where I feel like, yeah, I'm still wanting to be there. I still want to be a part. I still want to see these posts about your progress. I still want to see that because it gives you hope. Yeah. So I think it's just, I know it's a lot, but I, I think those two things um, bother me the most mm -hmm. out of everything. Well, is there anything else that you think is really important to mention about our topic today. Anything else you want the listener to walk away with? Yes. Um, I would say, one, never lose hope in what you're going through because um, really a good percentage of what you experience is your hope and your faith in what's going to happen. So hold on to that. Um, never feel like you're alone because you're not. You know how many people are in our community, Millie? Like, yeah. There's so many people. Um Never lose hope. Look to others for support. Um, but also, when if you're starting out in this process, please, 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 both of you get checked. Mm -hmm. Not just the woman, the man. Go and get checked. Because I think a lot of times we put so much emphasis, like I was saying, on women and it being us. But I feel like, yes, it's so necessary. And it will save you so much time later on when things don't work. Yeah. Um, please, 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 both of you go get checked out. That's like my main thing. I always tell people that are going through infertility, may it be in our community or outside, like friends or anybody that comes to me. I always say, look, he needs to go to a urologist and get checked out and you need to go to your OB and get checked out and then come together after that. Mm. But I found that to be something that I think needs to be said so much more. Uh, snaps to that. Like, I'm, I'm like, yes. I don't even think I've ever brought that up on this show before. I'm like, it's, oh and God. it's so like square one. It's like step one. Yes. You both need to go get checked out. You both need to go get checked out. I think it's because it's so much, like I said, like the emphasis is so female based. Like, I think it's like, no, like you both need to go 
and see what's going on because it's it's already enough that you go through all the tests that you go through but to do stuff and later find out that it's something that you could have prevented or taken care of you don't want to be in that position yeah because as you know you have moments of waiting time goes by so fast yeah um and the longer you wait to do those things the more you're putting it off so it's it's just I, like I would say, if anything, that's my main emphasis. Please, 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 both both man and woman go and get checked out. Yep. Yep. That would be my biggest thing. Narissa, how can people follow you and your journey and um, connect with you? Yes. Yeah, so anybody that wants to follow, please look me up on Instagram at Narissa Roper Art. Um, that's my tag on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook under Narissa Roper. I also have a blog called A Bundle of Faith, um, and it talks about our background, where we came from, and our journey. Um, I took some time away because I was like, I need time for myself. So I have some um, tons of editing to do and some blog posts that I need to get up there as soon as possible. And I also have a YouTube channel named the same A Bundle of Faith. Um that talks about our journey and I do respond to people. Um, so reach out, speak up, say something, say, Hey, I'm here. You know, I'll talk to you. Millie, you know how I, I know I, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Narissa, this is, I I'm just like, Oh, I just want, I'm virtually hugging, hugging you right now. Well, you know, I love you and, and Miss Junie, honey. <laughs> so, I was like, I said, I tell everybody, I said, there's a, there's a, um, a group of people that after this COVID is over, I said, I'm gonna have to fly out to California because I have too many people on the West Coast that I have gained friendships with and am cool with. Yes. I said, so once COVID is over, I said, I'm gonna have to come and hug you fully, Millie, and come and give that little baby some hugs with them beautiful cheeks oh, on her face. She, well, you're welcome here anytime. And she is just all cheeks and chins right now. She's, I love it. It's just, it's too much. Enjoy it too, because I'm telling you, it goes away. And I sit there, I, I like, I, I sit here and look at Kennedy all the time, and I'm like, where are your cheeks? Yes. Oh God, it's so true. And they're still there, but they're not like they were when they were when she was new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. Kiss them all the time. I will. I will. Thanks so much, Narissa. Yes, we have to do this again. I enjoyed this so much just talking to oh, you. Oh, we'll have we'll definitely have you back on for something else. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.